Everybody has the potential to work through emotional suffering and come to a place of peace. And we should be doing that in our lives, not just on our deathbeds. The world has never been changing more rapidly, dislocating the ways we work, learn, and live. On the Learning Future podcast, we discuss the knowledge, skills, and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers, and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hi, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Zenith Virago. Zenith is the executive officer and founding member of the Natural Death Care Center Charity for over 25 years. She's a maverick and respected pioneer teaching both nationally and internationally. And her work is best described as assisting people to die well and for families and friends who have a healthy, uh, to have a healthier bereavement, especially involving sudden death, death or trauma. She has a legal and welfare background uh, and she's a community resource assisting people to know and reclaim their legal rights and co-create their own social rights of passage. She's committed to cultural change, informing, educating, and empowering individuals and community, and is also the co-author of The Intimacy of Death and Dying and subject of Zen and the Art of Dying and a patron of the Good Funeral Guide in the UK. Zenith, it's a delight to have you with us for the podcast today. Thanks, Luca. So we always start podcasts about learning with something that you've learned recently. What's something in this quite remarkable time in which we find ourselves uh, that that you've you've kind of noticed uh in your life and through your work Mm. i I suppose it's just really reminded me of how valuable ceremony can be because so many people are missing out on ceremony as part of their experiences of loss with the deaths of people that they love where they can't be at the bedside or they can't be gathering for a ceremony together Mm. And Zoom is absolutely better than nothing, but it is not the same as being physically there with people that you care for to honour someone that you love and see the body. Mm. I'd love you to, particularly this this phrase of rites of passage, uh, I'd love you to explain a little bit around what that model is because, of course, it encompasses a lot of different ceremonies that we have, you know, things like school graduations, even and weddings, of course, death or and initiation ceremonies, any kind of movement. I'd love to hear how you describe a rite of passage, because I think, as you say, with so many of us having missed out for the last 12 months, um, you know, that, that presents an interesting challenge. Yeah, so I think in its simplest form for anybody who doesn't really participate in rites of passage work or just sees things as ceremony, a rite of passage generally has three parts and simply they can be defined by a range of words, but simply there's separation, so taking away from, moving away from, a challenge of some sort and then a return in in a transformed state Mm. so for example when someone dies they are separating themselves from life and from everything that they love their body is dead but whatever we believe in so most people in my experience believe that something leaves the body an energy a life force a soul spirit Mm. essence whatever name you want to put on it but generally you know 99 people out of 100 seem to believe in that because it offers us comfort in a challenging time and then 
those people who are left behind or live on with that loss and without that person physically in their lives, they return once the death has occurred, once the ceremony has occurred, they return into their lives without that person physically in it. So they are changed by that experience in some way. And most of my work is about for that to be as beneficial as possible and that might be beneficial on a learning experience on mm -hmm. a physical practical level or on an emotional level so that they're they're going to be in a, a state of bereavement yeah. and that bereavement may look like joy it may look like relief it may look like uh heartbreak or despair and but that bereavement has a, has a range of qualities and grief is one aspect mm. of that bereavement. It, it's not the default response to loss. It's an aspect. Right. I'm, I'm, as we're having this conversation, I'd love to ask why we should talk about death. A lot of people aren't comfortable doing so. Uh, what is it that we should pay attention to, do you think? A lot of people are just unfamiliar and they don't know where to start. But the, the best place to start is exactly where you are with who you are and whoever you're talking to. But you don't have to be an expert. Like anything, it's a practice. So the more you practice it, the better at it you'll get generally, whatever that is. So having conversations with people around death and dying and loss and love and bereavement, start where you are. But I would say one of the easiest ways to do it is alongside somebody. So in the car, on the sofa, uh, on the right. park bench, looking at the view, walking along, playing golf, at the barbecue, at the urinal, whatever you want to do, <laughs> do it alongside someone rather than eye-to-eye -eye contact because people need to have space in their thinking and in their feeling so that emotions will arise and they can just go off into a nothingness rather than being confronted or witnessed by someone having eye-to-eye -eye contact and my experience is that that makes those conversations especially if they're with people who are finding that subject confronting because they may be dying or they may be ill and they're they're going to move into dying but they they're finding that challenging but I, I think one of the other things we really need to do is look at our language around that and just become more neutral so that we don't load ourselves up with, oh, it, people find that difficult. Some people may find it difficult, but actually people love to talk to me about death. Look at you. you know, people are doing <laughs> it all the time. So given the opportunity and yeah. giving a familiar or comfortable experience or someone who is comfortable with it, people are very capable and over and over again with my work and everywhere I travel and at any given moment at the airport, which seems like a distant memory now, <laughs> but when you're, when you're standing next to complete strangers and people are very open to discussing death in a broad-based way, mm. 
But once it starts to get real, it's like people will always say, oh, I want this song at my funeral. Oh, I want my ashes to be scattered. Oh, I want to be buried under a tree. Put me in a cardboard box. All of that. People are very good at that mm. until it gets real. So we have, to, we have to take that willingness into those conversations and be courageous. So the word core comes from the old French word for heart. So we, we are often courageous because of love. You know, the heart will drive us. And if mm. we remember that and step up to those situations from a courageous place, that people are amazed at what they're capable of over mm. and over again. But if you don't try it, and whatever you practice, you'll get good at. So if you get practice at swallowing those words down, not having those conversations, not being courageous, you'll get good at that. And if you practice taking a deep breath, standing alongside, sitting alongside someone and going there, you will get good at that. Mm. I, I've, I feel that... One could apply this about all grief uh, and loss. And, of course, that doesn't always uh, for, you know, equate to death. But in some ways, it's yeah. the death of an idea or a relationship or, yep. or of a school graduation or of... Or a thing. Or a thing, yeah. Or a, a trip that someone had planned in 2020, you know, before exactly. the pandemic took over. So, you know, the idea of, of loss and grief... How, if what what would you offer us in terms of ways that we can healthily understand that, understand that kind of grief and loss, and, and process it in a way where it we're we're kind of airing it out and and moving through those stages. So I think it's an, each situation has an individual response. Sure. So if we're talking about death, it's who the person is and how they die who we are and our relationship to them and our familiarity with death so far will give us a response. And it won't be the same each time. And people need to be prepared for that because as we become more familiar, we may be, it may become easier. Mm. Or, you know, if it's a sudden death, if someone kills themselves, yeah. that can just go wham and we can, so for me, after 25 years of working with people, a friend of mine recently killed themselves, who I loved very much. And I was amazed at the feelings that I felt that mm. I'd never felt before. And it was terrible and beautiful all at the same time. And I have found myself saying that phrase to lots of people since then. And they will say, yeah, that's exactly how it is. And so it's, and, and, but I think that what, pe what I find helpful, because this is part of what I'm teaching, mm. and other people seem to find this helpful, is if you see it like a pendulum swing and that the settled default central position is sadness. So generally people are sad when someone dies. Right. And so on one swing of that is grief and on there are things like disbelief, despair, confusion, distress, mm -hmm. you know, fear, anger, 
range of emotions like that. Mm -hmm. But on the other swing goes to joy. And in there may be acceptance, gratitude, resilience, growth, mm. relief, comfort. And, and on any given day, you can... So when I see people who are, have lost someone that they love, I say, how are you feeling right now? Because they could be feeling all sure. of those emotions in any day at any given point. And people have this incredible resilience. So they can be crying one minute and in total disbelief. And then five minutes later, you can be having a cup of tea with them. And they'll be, they might not be laughing, but they'll be lighter. Yeah. Uh, because you can't always assume that it's a terrible thing when someone dies. So a mm -hmm. lot of people, and if you come in neutral, you can allow them to tell you where they are. Not You don't rush in with, oh, my God, it's so terrible that your mom died. Some, because some people will respond, well, she really needed to die. She was suffering. Mm. She'd suffered for a long time. I'm really glad that she's died. And if you rush in with your big grey blanket of, oh, it's terrible, it doesn't allow them to be in their own emotions. They have to try and make you feel okay that yeah. they feel okay. Yeah, sure. So come come to it and with respect and ask them how it is for them, mm. not how you think it would be or, you know, how it might be for you because we all know that often people who are dealing with that situation, uh, when it's happening to you, it's much easier sometimes than other people in their fear of a nightmare that might happen to them, like the loss of a child. Yeah. So, so often when people are just dealing with that situation, they are in it. But it's everyone, every other parent's nightmare that right. that might happen to them. And so those people are smothering that family with their fear. Interesting. And that can be very, that's an extra burden yeah. for that family to carry when they're already dealing with something that is intense. Mm, I'd never thought of it in those terms before, um, Zenith, uh, because, of course, we all want to support anyone particularly if we're close to them uh, in terms yeah. of the grief or the loss that they're experiencing. Um, and that kind of view that you spoke through in terms of the different stages or the different states and focusing on just where we are right now, I think is a really mm. powerful reflection. Yeah, and often, often when I teach that as part of a three-day workshop that I teach, there are people in the room who just burst into tears because they felt okay or they felt joy or they felt... Mm relief and gratitude and to see it there on a diagram and to 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 have someone like me saying that these are normal frequent responses that mm. i have seen over the years for, it's this incredible relief for them because yeah. they haven't they've felt bad that they felt okay because everyone else wants to smother them with a grief blanket you know? interesting yeah it's uh it reminds me a little of the I think it's um the Kubler Ross model of grief. I, I just I just think about last year and the experience that really everyone had in the entire world, which is what makes it so remarkable, is the kind of 
everyone lost something last year. And of course, it was incredibly inequitable depending on where you lived. Um, and here but we're at both... at the same time, a lot of people gained something. A mm. lot of, depending on what age you are, what your circumstances are, a lot of people would say, I gained a lot more time, a lot more yeah. time with my children, a lot more work balance, you know. So it it wasn't all about loss. Mm. Sorry to interrupt no, you. No, not but, at all, Zenith. That's But you... you yeah, it's yeah. A, I just think a, about the process. Exactly, exactly. And of course, it's the orientation we come to anything with any challenge or struggle mm. is, and this great idea of post traumatic growth, not just exactly. post traumatic stress, right? Which well, is there what is a, we all there's talk a whole about. body of work about post traumatic growth. Yeah. And, and the whole conversation that, that's happening in every industry right now about what is the new normal or you know, the post-COVID world, what, you know, the idea, I think there is this optimism about we can create something that was better than was here before, particularly when we look at different structures, um, be they, yeah, organisations, societies, governments, um, schools, universities, whatever the case might be. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested in your reflection on how might we do, because it sounds like a lot of what you talk about is from this idea of emotional attunement or emotional intelligence, being able to understand how I'm feeling, how others are feeling, to be able to articulate that powerfully. And that's something that I spend a lot of my time thinking about as well as the realm of social emotional skills and or life skills. What's your reflection on how we might embed some of these things into the way that we, we talk to our children or we talk to our students because uh, again, it can be really heavy, and, and in my experience, people don't want to. We don't touch this in schools because talking about death with your kids um, often doesn't feel like it's the place of an educator to do that. It's the place of a, a parent or of a caregiver in another context. What's your reflection on that through the work you've done? Well, I mean, talking to ch children are fantastic at at honesty and simplicity because that's you know, part of their core nature mm. until they learn other things. But so, for example, when people have a family pet and the pet dies, yeah. this is the perfect opportunity to, to not introduce kids to death because they're seeing it around them all the time, one way or another, in nature, um, in the world. So to, to just be honest and real with children and age-appropriate, but not lie to them. It, it's just, it, 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 it's beyond <laughs> belief that people lie <laughs> to children about death because sure. I see adults, you know, in their 50s and 60s who were lied to as children many years ago about the death of one of their parents or a sibling. Wow. And you can see the impact of that when they were told a lie and then they had to work out that lie when everybody was behaving one way which didn't seem to be congruent to the mm. piece of information they'd got. Mm. So dealing with uh, death in a real way, even if that's a dead bird on, or roadkill on the side of the road, yeah. you know, you can explain to it. But in order to have sort of emotional intelligence, you have to have some respect for what other people are thinking and feeling. And, and it, whatever that is... That's what it is. It, it, it might not be up sure. to your benchmark or right, it might right. not be, you know, the, the um, 
accredited position <laughs> that people want to have because sometimes life is just shit and mm. sometimes people's response to that um, isn't a intellectual or intelligent one. It's an emotional one and it's a, a nervous system one or Body it's a one. traumatic yeah. response. Mm. It's complex. But one of the greatest things I've learned, because when I first started this work, I was young, I was in my 30s, I had a very black and white attitude to things. It was like, yeah, come on. And uh, over that time, I, can imagine. I mean, I'm an eight in the Enneagram if anybody is up for that. So it's like bang, bang, bang. And it's been an incredible gift to me to have to sit with people who are suffering, either in, in their loss of their own life as a mm. dying person or with families who are looking at that loss or are experiencing that loss, as I say, especially if that's sudden um, and traumatic because not all sudden deaths are traumatic. Mm. So it's about defining things and coming at it and just coming at it gently with respect and that probably is the biggest thing that i bring to any situation is a respect for where people are at not where we think they should be mm. and and to be able to sit in that suffering with them wow or to be able to sit in that whatever that response is because you know as i say sometimes i say how is it for you and people are really glad that person is dead because mm -hmm. things aren't always what they seem. Yeah. And you, so becoming neutral to a situation, if that's a friend or a family member, or to children, not coming with your whole, oh, this is going to be very hard for them, or I don't want to freak them out. Kids are great because they're really in the now. Yeah. So I see small children whose parents have died, and they will be sitting at, in the house, in the room with us while we are discussing. Everyone's worried about the children. The children will then say, can I go out and play now? And the kids will go, and everyone's happy that the kids are still buoyant and playful. Mm. And sometimes they'll come back in and then say, can I have a sleepover with someone? And then the other people cry because they actually want to keep them close. But you, you have to let them be. And if you've got a supportive community or mm. family. And as we know, it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. And sometimes it can be a great relief for those kids to not be in the intensity in, that, in their own house mm. with that adult parent dealing with the loss of their lover. And so sometimes it's a blessing that the kids want to go off and play or sleep over at other people's houses. And then the parent can take, instead of being bereft about that, they can take the time to be in, as, a, as a lover with the loss of their partner rather than having to be supportive to the children right. as a parent. And so, you know, there's so much going on. And, and it's great to be able to walk with people and offer that insight, that mm. experience from other people, that neutral position in order for them to know that that's okay that they don't have to have those children there 24 hours that the yeah. kids kids are resilient kids don't have an intense loss measure because they don't know what forever is they don't know <laughs> what 25 years of living their life without that other parent in it 
yeah. looks like when they're five or six. Yeah. They don't. They're that's, just worried about now. Yeah, that's that's one of the wonders of of school of being around young people. And you know, because you work with children all the time. Yeah, well, not not as much as I used to. Um, now that I work with adults, but um, I, I'd love to. It, this really hits close to home as well, Zenith. We, uh, my dad's mother, my grandmother died in December, actually, so not that long ago. And again, so one of the silver linings, so to speak, was that I was able to be here with family, um, whereas usually I'd be travelling somewhere else. Yeah. And so, but being able to kind of go through that grieving process together and do the funeral, which we were lucky to do, although we, people weren't able to sing, so we formed a choir and you know messed around with all the different regulations that were in place at the time. Uh, it was really around the, the kind of celebration because the context there was, you know, a, an amazing woman and matriarch that had lived a long life and left behind a huge legacy, including aspects of who I am today through yeah. the way that she inspired and influenced me. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and I'm just a lot of gratitude. It's kind of the emotion that comes up with that. Um, yeah, but, of course. And, and um, you know, inspiration, like she's an inspiration on how you want to live your life and what you want to give back. So when you say silver lining, I would probably encourage you to see that as one of the gifts sure. that she gives you in her death. So just mm. like she gave you lots of gifts in her life, people often give gifts, especially in the way they die mm. and in what they share with people while they're dying because dying's an inside job. So it doesn't matter if you've got lovely linen sheets. It doesn't matter if you've got a great view or whether you're in a housing estate and you've got, you're looking at a brick wall out of your window. It doesn't matter. What matters is what's happening for you on the inside. And if you are dying with an acceptance, uh, with a, an expansion, with a willingness to share that experience and pass on, um, kindness and respect and integrity and courage to your family who are accompanying you in that journey or your friends if you don't have family, then when you die, those people are, are, are not going to fall apart. They're going to feel sad, but they're going to be full of love and respect and acceptance and gratitude and um, and growth mm. from that experience because people are showing them what it means to die. And sometimes people will die in pain and physical suffering. Mm. But, but everybody has the potential to work through emotional suffering right. and come to a place of peace. And we should be doing that in our lives, not just on our deathbeds. But, yeah. you know, well, that's you, the work you, you're doing. <laughs> that's yeah. what you've been, you've been doing now for almost three decades. Uh, yeah. It runs for the Snoopy cartoon. I'm sure you've seen it. It's, you know, we only live once, Snoopy. And then Snoopy says, wrong, we only die once. We live every day. And that's a really, I think, powerful, you know, as Ellen that's Watts so would even say. Yeah, it's really good. And Ellen yeah. Watts, you know, the British philosopher, he talks about, you know, that death implies life and this idea of kind of, yeah. You know, what is a life well lived? You know, yeah. it's some pretty deep philosophical questions. So yeah, I'd love I'm you to... That, I'm not that deep. No, no, clearly not. No. <laughs> Give me Snoopy anytime. 
Loves it, Stevie. Um, so it's been a delight to speak with you and just hear some of your more lived experience, really, of, of working right on the interface of grief, loss, um, and death. And of course, not that not being at all a bad thing, but actually it being just part of who we are. So what I'd love for you to do is to just share some final final thoughts with us, a take-home message perhaps for our audience. You know, this is one thing that is universal. None of us are getting out of this alive. It's, um, so what would, you, what would you offer? What's your offer as we kind of go about our day-to-day lives? Well, I think that I could offer a lot of things, but I think I'll offer you what is my only practice in life, um, which is to be present to what is and see the perfection of every moment as it unfolds rather than in retrospect so that when I die, I don't miss that moment. Mm. Wow. Zenith, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.